You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned afterward for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Whew, that's a serious bass note right there, man. <laughs> Stan was, was shaking. Hey, great to be with you online in the room today. Welcome to Mosaic Church. Uh, if this is your first time, as always, we sure hope it's not your last. A couple of quick things before we get into our time and our message. Number one, just wanted to bring you full circle on the financial ask we did about six weeks ago. If you've been here, if you've been tracking with us, you know that we asked for $65,000 to be able to construct some new space for our street ministry and for our student ministry over across the, the parking lot in our, our other building. And not only did we meet the goal, we went way past it. We, I think as of this week, we received actually $115,000. That's amazing. So thank you so much. That was, that was super easy. You all are amazing. Thank you. Number two. Uh, you know, we've been opening MKIDS every week. Someone like, I know, praise the Lord, right? Uh, and so we've been doing great with that. Thank you to, to Pastor Kivon and to Alyssa Jacobs and to all of you who have taken a spot in one of those classrooms. Just want you to know that to get all of our classrooms open for each age group, every service, both services, we still need a few more people. So this is just a little bit of a nudge. If you'd like to consider getting involved with children's ministry, we'd love to have you. I think we need 23 to make out that all those classrooms uh, complete. You can either get involved by seeing Pastor Kivon in the lobby after service, or if you're online, you can go to serve.mosaicchurchaustin.com. All right, commercial over. Here we go. Yeah, we're in the last week of our series. It's called, been called, How to Follow Jesus Christ. And we've been looking at how we can do that by looking through the lens of the life of Peter. Simon Peter, one of Jesus' first followers, arguably his most famous follower. And so you're wondering, yeah, well, what's coming up next week? Well, you'll find that out at the very end of the day, yeah. But let's get into our time, our last week in this series, our time of God's Word, Second Peter Chapter 1 is going to be our scripture reading. You can follow along on the screen. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of God, our God and Savior Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our lord jesus christ but whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you'll never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. So reading of God's word, all his people said, amen, amen. Yeah, when I was growing up, maybe like some of you, my dad had a garden, a garden. And it wasn't like a little tiny spice rack that you grow outside your windowsill and you pluck a couple of pieces of whatever and you feel real good about yourself. No, it was this enormous thing. Like he had things like rototillers in a barn and he would pull out because it took those kind of, that kind of machinery to plow the land. And he grew just about everything. Rows and rows of corn, green beans. I made a short list. Tomatoes, squash, carrots, eggplant, zucchini, peas, onions. We had plum trees, a peach tree. I'm pretty sure I'm forgetting a bunch of other stuff. And while if you know me, you know that the gardening bug didn't rub off on me. It wasn't because my dad wasn't great at it. He could figure out how to grow just about anything in the Texas soil. And that's true. And one time, I'll never forget this, he came home with a pickup truck full of elephant manure. He had convinced the local petting zoo to give him, he was excited about it. And I swear you could smell the smell coming around the corner. I don't think the truck was ever the same. And he did spread it all over that garden. And it did. It was so true. It made everything grow bigger and better to the point that we couldn't preserve it all or pick it all or eat it all. And our friends and neighbors were begged to come over and take whatever they wanted so it wouldn't spoil or rot on the vine or the plant or whatever. But again, it wasn't for me. If you've ever done gardening work, ooh, it can be tough. Getting your hands bit by ants while you're 12 years old on your knees picking weeds in the garden while it's 100 degrees outside, not for me. But while I would have rather been doing just about anything else, I did learn something from him. It's this. I learned that it takes intentionality to get things to grow. It takes intentionality to get things to grow. Without intentionality, what he wanted to grow in his garden, all those tomatoes. It never would have grown. And without intentionality, what he did not want to grow, weeds, bugs, death, would have grown effortlessly. See, a good gardener is intentional if nothing else. So what's Peter, the author of this letter, doing here? I think Peter is gardening. He's gardening. In this letter, in this passage, with his last words, Peter, he's tending to the soil of our souls. He's trying to get you and me to grow spiritually. And here's how. Here's how important this is. After everything Peter had been through in his life, after meeting Jesus as a young man, after leading countless people to Christ as a changed man, after being imprisoned for Christ as a hunted man, here in this passage before he passes as an old man, Peter is pushing us to see how intentional God is and wants us to be about our spiritual growth, about growing in our character, in our motives, in our knowledge, in our feelings and thoughts. So let's do that today. Let's take a moment, follow Peter as he follows Jesus into spiritual growth. 
Here's my question. I'm going to try to ask and answer. How does then, how does God grow us? How does God grow us? I'm going to try to give you four ways from this passage. And for all of you whose heads are exploding right now because you swore Morgan could only do three, today's your day, all right? So cancel your lunch plans. Move away, y'all, your brunch plans. We're going to be here a while. Just kidding. All right. How does God grow us? Sort of three shots of encouragement, one small challenge in here. You'll feel it when you get there. But God grows us dramatically, organically, relationally, and lovingly. Dramatically, organically, relationally, lovingly. Let's go here, number one, and see how God grows us dramatically. Look at verse three. I love this. It says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So I just want to pause here, drop our anchor for just a second and acknowledge that this is one of the most, if not the most, challenging and encouraging and conceptually mind-blowing scriptures in all of the Bible because God, is he's saying this, past tense, has already given you everything you need to live out the life you're supposed to live. Peter's saying, don't let it escape you. All that you have right now is all that you need to live for God. And all you need, you already have. All the power you need to become the human, the Christ follower you're supposed to be, it's already there in you. How can he say that? Verse 4. Through these, his own glory and goodness, he's given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate, look at this phrase, in the divine nature. All right. Now think about this. When you were born, you received what? You received a human nature. Did you not? You did. You received from your parents DNA, your hair color, eye color, skin color, a good bit of your appearance, height, or in my case, lack thereof, right? It was there from the beginning before you ever added anything to it, before you added the gym, before you added the stylist, right? Before you added the tanning salon or the, or the, you know, or the school or whatever. Your parents' human power, let's call it the power of conception, gave you everything you had, all you needed, in a sense, beginning potential for life. So in the same way, oh, but way better, Peter is saying, you don't just live life partaking of a human nature, uh uh-uh. As children of God, through faith in Jesus, you live life partaking of a divine nature. You have, he said back in 1 Peter, what the apostle John also says in his letter, you have the seed of God. God's DNA gets implanted in you at the moment you trust in him to be the Lord of your life, your savior, to use a Bible word, from all your sins, all the way you live selfishly. See, when we trust Jesus, we get the very DNA of God implanted in us, which means this. I want you to know, if someone today tells you that you can't change, that you are what you are, You can't help it. You can't grow or be different or you can't overcome that. Peter's saying that's a lie. It's just not true. His divine power has given you everything you need for life and godliness. If if you've ever read uh, Laura Hellenbrand's best-selling biography, came out in 2010, I think, the Olympic runner and the famous World War II hero, Louis Zamperini, the book is called Unbroken. 
or you've seen the movie version with Angelina Jolie, you know what a remarkable story Louis Zamperini lived. 1943, he's in World War II, flying over the, the Pacific Ocean. His Air Force plane crashed and killed most of the men on board. They, in a way, were the lucky ones. The ones who did survive floated for 47 days, month and a half in the open sea, literally beating back sharks. After that time, only Louis and two other men survived. They were, then they were captured, they were imprisoned for two and a half years, which consisted of constant beatings, torture, humiliations. But he survived, uh, of course the war ended, he returned home and he was suffering then, as you might imagine, from extreme PTSD and he became an alcoholic cope. His wife, Cynthia, she lost hope for their marriage. Uh, He spent most of his time fantasizing about returning to the prison camp in Japan and murdering the bird. The bird was a Japanese sergeant who had repeatedly, horribly brutalized Louis in the camp. But in one night, one night, Louis dreamed that the bird was hovering uh, above him. And so he reached out his hands to defend himself, but a scream woke him up and he found himself literally sitting on his wife's, pregnant wife's chest, choking her choking her. Soon after, she announced she was filing for divorce, but he still, still, still couldn't quit drinking. But one day in the fall of 1949, Cynthia Zamperini was told by an acquaintance that there was a young evangelist by the name of Billy Graham preaching downtown. She attended and she, quote, came home alight, as she called it. She immediately went back to Louis, told him she did not want a divorce, that she'd encountered Jesus and begged him to attend the next meeting. And after days and days and days of resisting, he finally gave in and went to hear Billy Graham. And that night, the message focused on sin, on the debt we all owe to God. Louis was offended by this, indignant. I'm a good man, he thought. I don't owe God anything. But he said he felt the lie in it even as he said it. And he remembered the promise he had made to God on that raft in the open sea that if God would rescue him, He would serve him with his whole life. And several nights later, he returned. He repented. He received Jesus as Lord of his life, Savior from his sins. And that night, in a moment, it was a miracle. He was delivered of his alcoholism. Oh, but even more than that, he felt God's love flood him, touch his soul. He realized he was able to forgive all those who had hurt him and imprisoned him. And he wept and he wept and his hate vanished. And his marriage to Cynthia was, quote, renewed and deepened. And that, the next year, actually, 1950, he went back to Japan and he spoke in a prison where a lot of his former torturers were now being held. And he spoke about the grace of Jesus, how it could heal the human heart. And he went around literally hugging and embracing and smiling with and at those who had previously warped and hurt his body and soul. How could he do this? Second Peter 1.3. His divine power has given him everything he needed for life and for godliness. And in the same way, I want to tell you this. The sorrow you're suffering right now, you're going through, in the middle of it, I want to tell you, he has given you everything you need to handle it myself included. The challenge in your marriage today, you are able to grow through it. The person who hurts you, the people who hurt you, you are able to forgive them. I don't care what someone else says. The challenge you have, your sexuality, 
you are able to be self-controlled. The challenge you're up against in your school or your work, you are able to grow into whatever you're supposed to grow into, but not, not because of your human nature, but because of his divine nature, his divine power. Oh, which also means this. Everybody hang on for a second. This also means this. It means we are without excuse. Excuse. Is there any area in which you know you're supposed to be growing right now? We're without excuse. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. By the way, I'm going to preach this until I get at least one amen. So I'm going to stick on one point here. All right. All right. All right. Somebody saying, praise God. He can move on. All right. God grows us. He grows us dramatically. He grows us supernaturally. Don't forget that. But second, and yet, and at the same time, because God has given us his DNA, his supernatural seed, like a natural seed, sometimes, like a seed, many times, growth takes time. Growth takes time. It doesn't always happen overnight. And some of you are saying, yeah, thank God, all right. I like this point way better. Tell me more about that. All right, here we go. Number two, God also grows us organically, organically. All right, let's say you went out to our parking lot today, your driveway, some sidewalk, and you said, Morgan, I want to break up that concrete. What can you give me to break it up and to reshape, say, the mosaic parking lot? And what if, what if then, to make radical change, ready, in the parking lot, I handed you one of these. What would you think? You'd be like, this, this is it? I would say, yup. So you say, okay, great. I want to break up the concrete. And you took the seed there and you smashed it on the ground over and over and over. What would happen? You know, yeah, the seed would be ruined, right? It would break. And more importantly, nothing would ever change. But what if? What if instead of smashing the seed against the ground, what if you found a little crack? And what if you planted the seed in the soil and you cared for it and you took care of it and you watered and remembered over time? What if you remember this word? If you were intentional about caring for it, what would happen? Well, over time, you know, you, you would see what happens in parking lots and, si and sidewalks and driveways all over everywhere. The concrete would crack up through the impenetrable ground. You couldn't break if you smashed the seed against it. Now would come a tree and given time, one tree could cover the world with wood. Through the intentional cultivation of a single seed in what looks like impossible circumstances, now. Do you understand, maybe, can we grasp, why the central metaphor of Jesus' kingdom is what? Come on. A seed. That's right. I heard somebody say, a seed. My kingdom, he said, is like a seed. It's not like a boulder that comes through and smashes, right? The kingdom of Rome, smashed. The kingdom of Persia, smashed. Greece, smashes. The Babylonians, smashed. Hulk, smashed. Sorry. <laughs> Stuff writes itself, right? Now, the kingdom of Jesus plants. Jesus himself said, I'm like a seed, and if I don't go into the ground and I don't die, nothing's going to come forth. Oh, but if a seed will go into the ground, if it'll lose itself in the soil, when it does that now, one seed can change the whole world. And hasn't the life of Jesus, the capital S seed of God, changed the landscape of our world? It has. It started dramatically, but it has spread and grown over time organically. See, like newborn babes, Peter writes in just a moment, 
chapter two, I think. Crave milk so that you can grow over time, over years, day in and day out, all right? And so, right here, right here, right here. While we do, I like hearing this point a little better because it takes some of the pressure-y bits off of growth. While we may like it, maybe it's just me, I don't think we really embrace this. Embrace this, here's why, because we are impatient. And this is to prove my point. Some of you are saying, Morgan, hurry up. Get to your point, Ryan. We're the most impatient culture in human history. Go anywhere around the world. You'll see, man, even compared to like Europe or wherever, man, Americans way, way, we're way too impatient, right? I mean, you switch cell phone carriers because you get like your service, your internet three seconds faster. It's going to change your life. Three seconds, you know. We get impatient. We overestimate, put it like this, we overestimate what can happen in a day or a week or a month, but we underestimate what can happen over a decade or a lifetime. Right here, this is where we get stuck. Some of us quit growing because we don't really embrace organic growth or what Eugene Peterson called trolling, Frederick Nietzsche, by the way, a long obedience in the same direction. We struggle with that. We overestimate what can happen in a day. So you're like, man, I went to that church once. I went to that community group twice. Pastor Corey, I went to your Bible study at least twice. But my life's still the same. Right? No, no, no. You don't usually grow like that, do you know? If you have kids, you know, they don't grow like that. I didn't walk into my kids when they were, you know, toddlers and then come in in the morning and scream at them. Why haven't you grown? You're not taller. You know, what's wrong with you? And they'd be like, what's wrong with you? Hey, no. Milk. Seeds. Babes, Christian growth takes place organically, intentionally over time, which is why Peter says you have to make every effort to confirm. That means to cultivate, to bring out on the outside what God's already done on the inside. You've got to make every effort not to make yourself a Christian. You can't do that. Only God can make a seed. You can't make the seed. Oh, but you can help the seed grow. You can't be the gardener who comes around the corner with a truck full of you know what and dump it. Yeah, the miracle grow, right, of God's word day in and day out. And if you make every effort, watch what happens to the seed. We grow organically. So Morgan say, Morgan, how can I do this? Help make it a little more practical. All right. Let me just hear for third point in a moment. Let me just pull out and hold up one of these, one of these fruits, if I can use that term, from Peter's list. Starts in verse 5 and concludes in verse 7 that we're supposed to cultivate in our lives. Look at this, 2 Peter. He says, for this very reason, make every effort, do a whole lot of work to add to your faith, to the seed mutual affection, all right? We're gonna look at this one. Why? Because it shows us God wants to grow us. Number three, relationally. Relationally. Why is this? Follow me for a minute here, okay? 1964 in Ypsilanti, Michigan, there was not just one Jesus Christ. In 1964, there weren't even just two Jesus Christ up in Michigan. In 1964 in Ypsilanti, Michigan, there were no fewer 
than three Jesus Christ. Their real names were Leon, Joseph, and Clyde. All due respect for anyone here with those names today, but all three suffered from a level of mental illness. All three claimed to be Jesus, and all three were patients of someone by the name of Dr. Milton Rokich, who wrote this book, The Three Christ of Ypsilanti, about his experience with these men. It was actually just turned into a movie, I think in 2017, with Richard Gere called Christ. But Dr. Rokich labored for several years with these men just to try to get them to see who they really were. It was a tough go, almost no progress. Finally, he decided on a risky, risky endeavor. He put all three Christs in the same room. They slept side by side, bed by bed, shared the same task, ate same meals, same time, same table. And every day they met together for group therapy. What happened? Well, there were some minor breakthroughs. Uh, for example, in one group discussion, one of the days, uh, one day, one of the men announced, as was his custom, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Son of God, I'm on a mission, I was sent here to save the earth. Dr. Rokich asked him, how do you know? God told me was the reply. I never told you any such thing. <laughs> one of the other men replied right back. And one day, Leon, who was, had claimed to be married to the Virgin Mary, finally confessed, well, really, it's my sister-in-law. Well, that's weird, too. Anyway, but what endured, what endured past all the, uh, the pleading, the, the counseling, the therapy was this. Each man had, to use Dr. Rokic's term, a Messiah complex and wouldn't give it up. All right. With us and this group therapy, it's a little trickier, isn't it? trickier. We know we're not supposed to come across like we think we're God. We put on a little veneer, right? But it's hard not to lean that way sometimes. And it's that lean towards, to use Dr. Rokic's phrase, the Messiah complex, that lean towards thinking we're something more than we are. Oh, that's what gets us into trouble. And it's that lean that creates the struggle with what Peter calls mutual affection, brotherly kindness, to use the King James phrase. It's Philadelphia, in the Greek. How does that lean towards the Messiah complex show up and kill mutual affection? Two ways among others. First way, maybe this has been you, it's been, been me for sure. You walk into a room, maybe even this room, doesn't matter, any room, while you wouldn't say it out loud, you really think you're the only one who has the full picture, who really sees the situation accurately, who really knows what it takes in the moment. You're the only one. Listen, I've thought this for sure. Who has and is the answer. You're the answer for that person. You're the answer for that church. You're the answer for that organization. You're the answer for the country. If everyone listened to you on social media, they'd be fine. Okay, here's the word, saved. You should do this, you say. Why? God told me. We reply, I never told you any such thing, right? And if we act when we come across like that, is it any wonder people move away from us, right? And when people move away from us, we get real mad, we move away from them and the cycle continues somewhere else. That's not mutual affection. That's self-promotion in a church, on a team, in a home, in a marriage, in a friendship. And we don't grow, we get stuck. Second way we lean towards Dr. Rokic's complex. 
second wife. Now this is true. We can, this has been trending for years for sure in the West and in America. We actually come to believe this. Here's what we believe. We believe that we don't actually need to belong to a church, a community of faith, to be a Christian. Because, right, come on, we can worship God anywhere, right? Yeah, well, yes and no. Yes, if you define worship like a lot of Americans do, which is like just me singing songs to God by myself. Let's say in nature with the three people that I allow into my meeting, right? Where I want, when I want, how long or short I want. And that approach actually, doesn't it sound a lot more like how you approach your barista at Starbucks and the God of the universe? But if you define being a Christian like Second Peter does, where worship isn't just songs alone, but worship means honoring God with every part of our life. Well, what I just described a moment ago, that's not mutual affection. That is American Christianity. No apologies for that. Is there mission in that version? No. Is there spiritual reproduction beyond just your kids? Probably not. Are you being salt and light touching the world, the community? Or is there only, only, only retreat? inconvenience. Listen, listen. I love meeting God in nature on the beach, in the mountain. I do it all the time. I have. I will for sure. But if that's all there is, is there growth? And if you never grow in mutual affection, Peter says this, you're nearsighted and blind. To grow, you need to make every effort. It means hard work. To cultivate mutual affection. And that doesn't mean less, of course, than your spouse and your kids, but it does mean more. And the reason I'm holding this one up and sort of a little bit pushing it on us is because this is so important, because this is unique. It's the only one, did you catch this, on the list you cannot grow in just on your own. Perseverance? For sure you, right? Knowledge? Yeah, you can figure that one out to an extent. But mutual affection. That's you plus a me plus a they. God wants us to grow relationally. All right. Where can we get the power then to do that? All right. In the end, number four, it's by seeing as well that God still grows us, always will, grows us lovingly. If you go to Rome, and you might now, that they, as they say, as the COVID's a fallen, uh, if you go to Rome now and, and you get to town, on the way in to the city from one side is a church. It's called the Basilica of Santa Maria del Popolo, and inside it is this painting by the artist Caravaggio. It's called the Crucifixion of St. Peter. Because according to church history, this is how Peter died. He was crucified upside down by request because he didn't think he was worthy to die in the same manner as did his master and savior, Jesus. But you'll forgive, forgive you know, the, some of the Eurocentric imagery here. 17th century Italian dude after all. But what I love about the painting is this. If you do a little bit of art history, you know that this painting is actually protest art. It was a kind of a critique against the church excess of his day because in contrast to all the pomp, all the pageantry, the splendor, the money, the gold, the wealth of the Roman Catholic papacy in that day, all the popes, Caravaggio painted this to show what following Jesus might look like, could look like, did look like for the first pope. Peter, a naked man, a little shredded for an old dude, for sure. You know, I'm giving that, all right. Whatever, Lord, may that be us. All the men said amen, right? 
old man, right, dying on a cross. So when you see this, and what, what, what do you see? Well, besides the obvious, let me tell you what I see since I am talking. I see, I see a free man. I see a free man right here. You say, I don't see that. No, I see a man who's free. Why? It's why. It's because love is the ultimate freedom. Love is the ultimate freedom. To be loving is to be free, free from selfishness, right? Free from sin, from hate, therefore free to serve, free to give, free to lay our lives down, to truly love is to be free. And that's why Peter lists this one singular quality, fruit, character area that God wants to grow in your life. Verse five, for this very reason, Make every effort, effort to add, we're going to read them, to your faith, goodness, to goodness, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. Why is love listed last? Come on. It's because the greatest of these is love. When you're in love, what do you feel? Well, on one hand, you, you feel super restricted, don't you? You can't go anywhere without asking for permission. That's what love is. On the other hand, you feel the most alive. Come <laughs> on. It's true. Works both ways. Thank you. <laughs> you feel the most alive. To be in love is to be restricted. It is. And to be in love is to be free. So what do I see on the cross? I see a man who's free. Why? Because he himself, Peter, has grown from impulsive fisherman when we met him back on Easter, to cowardly disciple, to ashamed follower, to changed leader, to church pioneer, from a fisherman, no-name guy, born in a small town, to a world changer, giving up his life for Christ in the world's largest city. Peter himself was also a kind of a seed. He blossomed, and he flourished, and he grew until his last breath. He added to his faith love, and he became truly free. How did he do this? He gave you the key. He gave you the key. Here's what he said. He said, don't forget your own sins. Don't forget them. Don't forget your own sins. Don't forget you are in need of forgiveness. You can add love to your life. Because did you catch? Did you catch how Peter introduced himself in this letter? Swing and you'll miss it. It goes so fast. As not just Peter, he said, but Simon Peter. He lists his old name first so that he would never forget what he came from or how Jesus saved him, right? As he dies, he's simply Simon Peter, a servant. He's grown in love. He never forgot what Jesus rescued him from. And when Peter saw that over and over, he could love Jesus back. Do you know what can cause a person just to open their hands and let go of something? Love can, love can. Because when we see God's love for us, we just, we open our hands, right? God grows us then as we love him back. When we see his love for us in Jesus, we don't forget it. We don't forget why we need it. We have it on repeat. When we love him back, we can let go that old string of dirty pearls and exchange it for a crown of life that will never fade. Hope you can say amen to that. Let me take a moment and pray for you. God, I thank you today for how you want to grow us. As we sung today, you made us a promise and you won't stop now. Lord, I thank you. I pray for breakthrough in every person's life in here, online, can hear this, is watching this later today, perhaps another moment. Breakthrough. You will grow us and continue to conform us into your image as we see your love for us and we love you back. 
Help us to love one another. Lord, I pray for breakthrough in a moment, miracles. And I pray for growth over time that's sustainable, that bears fruit. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.